0: had not seen that before. I like that idea of being caught up into God's story. That's where meaning comes. That's where meaning comes in our lives that's greater than just our little, our little existence, to be caught up into God's story. Uh, as we begin, I'm, my name's Jim Franks. I am one of the pastors here, so it is great to see everybody here today. Some of you are sitting in different places. I'm looking and seeing faces where I'm not used to seeing them. That's good. That's good. Um, Continue to be in prayer for Pastor Tim and Nikki and the boys as they are traveling about during their sabbatical. Got an email last night that they are in Paris and enjoying their time, so please continue to be in prayer for them because they are going to be heading back pretty soon, and so please, uh, please pray for them. One for a pastor... When you are away, one of your concerns are what happens if things go haywire? Well, <laughs> welcome to Ohio, at least uh, our area. Um, I, will, I, I, I have to say this. Um, the, the amount that I was blessed to see people in our fellowship step up over these last two weeks and give of their time, give of their resources. Um, the church, and I'm sure other churches in our area did the same thing, but our church really stepped up and acted as the hands, of, the hands and feet of Jesus over these last couple weeks. So for those of you who, uh, who were out on work teams cutting up trees and uh, cleaning up messes and all that, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's been fun. Well, I shouldn't say, that's not been fun. But it's been, it's been beautiful to see uh, uh, all of you uh, helping out in those different ways. Okay. Um, so how many of you can think back into your memory banks and think of a time when you tried to be cool and it backfired on you? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, a couple hands coming up. Yes. I was thinking about that, and I thought back to when I was in fifth grade, and I had gone to the city pool. We used to live in Iowa, and was walking back by myself from the city pool and walking along the road. There's no sidewalks. And I remember the car full of girls that were driving out. Now, I'm a fifth-grade kid. What in the world a fifth-grade kid would have thought to... You're cool. You're not in fifth grade. But this car, full, and I don't. It was probably high school girls driving. There were some younger girls, and they were coming. They were coming this way. I was walking that way. <clears throat> and have have you ever done the full? As someone goes by, that's great when there are no signs at the side of the road. And I never saw that sign that said there was a stop sign coming and they're driving by, and they're smiling, and I'm smiling, and I get about to there. They're somewhere around over here. I turn around, bam. Right, they're driving down, honking their horn. I can hear them laughing out the window. It was humiliating. We all have stories. We all have testimonies. Some of them are funny. Some of them are ridiculous. Some of them are hard to think about. But we all have stories. We all have stories from our past. Testimonies can cause us to laugh. Testimonies can also motivate us and people around us into action. As people, as we share things that have happened in our lives with other people, it can cause them to be motivated to do things that perhaps they would not have done on their own. Testimonies can be very, very powerful. Uh, So as we were as we are moving back into the book of Acts, we're into chapters 26, 27, and 28 this week. Uh, the Apostle Paul that we have been we kind of been following his life and as he has been going through these different missionary journeys planting churches all around preaching to people um, he, this guy has a phenomenal testimony and uh, and so we're going to be looking a little bit more at that as we uh, as we begin our time here uh, today. Uh, All of us who are believers have a testimony. Our testimony is oftentimes what God uses to speak through us into other people's lives if we allow him to. There's a big doorway that sometimes we leave shut that does not allow God to speak through us into other people's lives. We have to choose To have that door open. So that as God speaks to us, as He brings us into other people's lives that might need to hear exactly what we have to share with them because of our experiences, we have to choose to live with that open door so that God can speak freely through us. As we begin uh, through chapter 24, Paul begins his trial before Governor Felix. As he's doing this, the Jewish leaders had been accusing Paul of wherever he goes that he's causing riots, wherever he's going, and, and they want to put him on trial because he's causing problems. Well, the thing about it is, he's not causing riots wherever he goes. The Apostle Paul goes into a town, he will talk to the church, he will talk to people, and he is sharing his faith, he is sharing his testimony. What's happening is all of these uh, Jewish leaders are following him wherever he goes, and whenever he starts to preach, they're the ones that are starting riots because they don't want him to share the good news about who Jesus is. So they're causing problems for him as he is traveling around to all these towns. So he comes before Governor Felix, and, 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 and this guy, Governor Felix, um, he's on trial, and, and Felix is, is trying to get—he's trying to find a reason to, to find Paul guilty because he has very close ties to the Jewish leaders, and they're his constituents. So he doesn't want to make them angry. So he's, he sits through Paul's testimony, and he can't find anything that Paul is doing— that is worthy of capital punishment. He, he can't. So in order to keep the Jews happy, he, he sentences Paul to prison. And he has, them, he has him shipped up to a city called Caesarea for two years. Paul is in prison in the city of Caesarea. So Felix is in charge for that two years. Felix is then replaced by a guy named Festus, Governor Festus. Festus also keeps Paul in prison because, again, he wants to keep a good relationship with the Jewish leaders. So he keeps Paul in prison. Paul's, Paul's okay being in prison Because Paul's purpose, he knows what his purpose is, which is what we talked about last week, if you were here last week. His purpose is he wants to preach and share the good news with people who do not know who Jesus was. And so Paul is now given the opportunity to speak to two governors sharing the good news about Jesus. Very, very important uh, uh, situation that's happening So he goes through this trial. Festus wants to, he he, he wants to keep the Jews happy, but he's hoping that uh, it says in, I think it's in Acts chapter 23, he's hoping Paul will bribe him to let him get out of prison. Doesn't happen. Paul wants to hang there because he wants to preach to more and more powerful people. This is his his purpose in life, is to preach to powerful people. To, to lots of people, but also to influencers. So, so he gets to the end of this, this, tr- this part of the trial, and Paul says, Paul was a Roman citizen. So Paul says, uh, I want to appeal to Caesar, which means he wants Caesar as his audience. He wants to preach the gospel to Caesar. Festus was ready to, he was ready to let him go. Just bribe me and get on your way. But because Paul said, I want to appeal to Caesar, Festus says, okay, you want to appeal to him? Then to Caesar you will go. And that is the direction now that Paul is headed. He is going to show up before Caesar coming up um, uh, a little bit later, which, which we're not going to talk about that uh, here today. A new, a new character enters the scene now and I believe in chapter 20, 25 or maybe 26 and this, and this character's name is Agrippa. Agrippa is a king over this small area in, in, uh, in Israel. And Paul, ah, I got another opportunity to preach to someone who is powerful. So he gets the chance to go before King Agrippa King Agrippa is the next guy up the food chain, and Paul wants to talk to him. So that's where we're going to pick up in the story. So if you got your Bibles, let's take a look at Acts chapter 26. We are going to start right off in verse 1, Acts 26, 1. And let's take a look at what is happening in the story as we go. So, Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So, Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, What's, what's really interesting here, he, he's asking the judge to listen to him patiently. He's not interested in being acquitted and set free. And we see that with this statement. King Agrippa, I want you to listen to me patiently because I want you to hear what I have to say. I want you to hear my testimony because I want you to hear about who Jesus Christ is. And that's where he's going with this testimony. Okay, let's keep going. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers, that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God both day and night. For those of us who have been around church a long time, what have the Jewish people been waiting for for so long? A Messiah, that's right. They've been waiting for Messiah to come. And Paul says, okay, this is the hope that we have all been waiting for. Okay, so he goes on. "'O king, it is because of this hope "'that the Jews are accusing me. "'Why should any of you consider it incredible "'that God raises the dead?' "'So here he's saying, "'the hope that I have is in this man Jesus, "'who is the Son of God, "'who was raised from the dead.'" And he's saying that for, for, for most of us Jews, this is part of our, of our understanding we will be raised from the dead. Not all the Jews believe that, but a lot of them did. And he's saying our hope, our hope who came in the form of Jesus was raised from the dead. This is what we were waiting for, for so long. So he goes on. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. So, so your first fill in the blank, so go ahead and pull up your worship program. Your first fill in the blank, blank is this Your testimony begins with your life before Christ entered your scene. And that's exactly what Paul is pointing to right now. This was Paul's life before Jesus entered his scene and made a difference in his life. Paul was a murderer. He was a murderer of Christians. A lot of us have stories. A lot of us have stories pre-Jesus entering our scene that are humiliating, that we don't want people to know about. Paul is perhaps one of, if not the greatest Christian that's ever lived. His job and he executed it perfectly, was to kill and imprison Christians. This is all of our testimony. We're not all murderers. But we all have places in our lives, especially before we accepted Jesus into our lives, that we did shameful things. And those shameful things oftentimes will keep a lot of people from connecting with God. I hear it in the counseling office often. God wouldn't want me. God knows what I did. God knows what I'm doing right now. He doesn't want me. How many times have you heard someone say, or you've said, if I walk inside the church... What's he, he's, he's saying this same thing. We all have a testimony. We all have a story. We all have brokenness in our past. This is something that God desires to use as our testimony if we quit denying it, if we quit being embarrassed about it. We are all a mess. We've all got messes in our background. We've all walked around with dirty diapers. We all have. Every single one of us. None of us in this room are holier than anybody else. I want to just really pound that through because that's what holds so many of us back from stepping into what God desires for us to live into our purpose. I can't because. It's a lie. Amen. We need to remove that thought process from our mind. I can't because. There is no I can't because. There is only I need God. Amen. This is our... T- and, hmm. Let's flip over to Romans chapter 5. There's a real quick little passage here I want to hit on. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. All of us. Jesus died at just the right time because we were all, we were all powerless to have a relationship with him. None of us, none of us were, you know, God didn't look at any of us and say, well, all these people, they really need the mess, but, you know, here's my, here's the ones I really like. We'll just get them a little bit of grace because all they need is a little bit of grace. We all need all of the grace. And when we come to that point where we recognize not only do I need all of the grace, but all of the grace is available to me regardless of what I've done. Now we're in a position to accept what Jesus has done for us. So let's go on. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of us, all of us were there. Every single one of us were there. Maybe you've killed people, maybe you have had affairs. Maybe you have gossiped. Maybe you have torn people down. Maybe you haven't done those things. Regardless of what level we think we were bad, it doesn't matter. Grace covers all of it. And all we have to do is accept it. Our testimony starts, every single one of our testimonies starts with recognizing that we needed a Savior. You guys remember the old uh, Norman Greenbaum song, uh, Spirit in the Sky? Oh, yeah. Great song. Up until it says, I've never been a sinner, I've never sinned. Kind of falls off the table at that point. So if we can, like, change that little thing and then still do and still go with the beat, you know, but that's where we're all, at. and so we get back to the fact that we all have a testimony, and our testimony starts before we, uh, before we had a relationship with Jesus, and God is relentless. He will follow us. Okay, so second fill in the blank is this: your testimony continues with how Jesus intervened in your life and saved you from your sins. This is step number 2 in understanding what our what our testimony means. Jesus intervened and saved us from our sins. Let's keep going in chapter 26. It says this, on one and we're in verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Very interesting metaphor here. This idea of kicking against the goads. Goads are, if, if you're not familiar, goads are like this long spear type things, real pointy on the end. Farmers would get behind their oxen as they're going out and like plowing the fields. And if the oxes were being uh, obstinate, they get poked, they get poked with these with these goats. They just keep poking them, moving them onward. Well, if when the oxes get ticked off, they start kicking against these goats. Well, you can imagine if you're gonna start kicking against these sharp spears, what's gonna happen to your legs? Ouch. The goads were meant to motivate the animals to keep moving. What he's saying here, I think, is Paul has been being goaded probably for some time by the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. They were alive at the same time. Paul was, who at that time was Saul, was aware of who Jesus was. There had to have been times, there had to have been times, as he is watching Christians being stoned to death, being flogged, being whipped and beaten, there had to have been that small voice in the back of his head saying, this isn't right. This can't be right. That little goad We all have probably felt that at different times. Hey, this isn't right. You know that you should not be doing this. You know that I am leading you in a different direction. Stop this. Stop this lifestyle. Stop this decision-making process. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And the more we kick against that the more painful it gets because then we just seem to go further and further and further and deeper and dig in our hole deeper and dig in our hole deeper and it seems like that hole then just can get so so deep how do I get out of this now this is what he says he's been doing with Paul quit kicking against what you know is right The Messiah has come. Accept him. Live in relationship with with this Messiah. Until God said, all right, you're not going to listen. Knocked him off his horse. Blinded him. So that there was no way he could continue in his disobedience. Disobedience. We have all had some kind of experience. If you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your life, you've had some kind of Paul's Damascus Road experience where you are on your horse and you are heading one way and God intervened and said, Enough. We need to go this way. This part of our testimony is so... That's a microphone. This part of our testimony is so powerful because this is how we are able to share with people it is possible to turn. It is possible to repent. It is possible to live differently because this is what happened to me. And nobody can say, No, that didn't happen to you. That's why testimonies are so powerful because you can't tell me that this is not what happened to me. I was there. This is what God did in me. But we have to be willing to share this with people, which means we have to be living a lifestyle that allows us to have people see that there's something different in us, and as they see that there's something different in us, now they say, How, what, what is, why do you do this? Why do you live this way? Why don't you do this? And why do you do this? Let me tell you, because this was my life before Jesus entered my scene. And this is how Jesus entered into my life. This is how he changed me. And when we are willing to be outspoken like that and we're willing to not be afraid and we're willing to not be embarrassed of our Messiah who was killed for us and tortured for us when we're willing to be open with who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives this is powerful this is how God gets a hold of us and does some really really incredible things which moves us into our third fill in the blank your testimony builds as you do three things number one you choose to obey two God leads you into his plan for your life and three you begin sharing your testimony As we do these things, supernatural things happen. So Paul goes on. Let's come back to Acts chapter twenty-six. I think I left off in uh, verse sixteen. He says, "Now get up and stand on your feet." And this is this was Paul as he's knocked down off his horse. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me. And what I will show you, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so what we see is this is, this is Paul's understanding of his calling and his decision to move forward in the calling that God has placed on his life. So then we get to what we we're talking about in this third fill in the blank. we got these three things. And we see that in, from, uh, verse, between verses 19 and 23 where he says this. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. That's that first idea. He chose to obey. He was not disobedient to God's vision. He chose to obey, number one. He goes on, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. And we see both numbers two and three there. God leads, God has led him into God's plan for his life, which was to preach. And then the third thing, he began to share his testimony with all of those people. He was living out, That third fill in the blank, what we see there uh, in that passage. Then he goes on I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. This is the process. If you were here a few weeks ago when I was talking about the funnel, this is the process of moving further down the funnel into further areas of obedience because now my faith is not just my own now I am sharing my faith with other people around me who need to hear it and my desire to be willing to be open and for other people to hear what God has done through me that's the moving down the funnel which, were, uh, which uh, even a few other weeks ago where, where Sam was talking about the remember the five S's what, do you remember? what was the last S? Do you remember? Sent, yes, yes. We have to be saturated with the Holy Spirit so that he can then send us into the world to be able to share God's word with those around us, and that's exactly what Paul is living into right now. He does not care more about his work than he does about his mission, which is sharing about Christ. He does not care more about family than he does about sharing Jesus. He does not care more about anything than he does about what God has called him to in his life. Everything in his life comes secondary. He does not put anything above his relationship with God and what God has called him to do. And that's part of his testimony. And that's part of the power of his testimony. Because we look at that and we see, well, there's a lot of things that I put in front of following God. Sometimes I put Netflix in front of following God. Sometimes I put my appetite in front of obedience to God. Sometimes I put my desires in my relationships in front of choosing to obey God. There's a lot of things that we place in front of that. As we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, he shows us through his example how to move down the funnel to be able to be people who God is calling to do to reveal himself through on this earth and we're the ones that he's chosen to do it with a lot of times I look at myself and think man you probably could have found someone better but we're all he's got there are no super Christians we're it and if you deal with anxiety guess what He can he can come along beside you and work through you. You deal with depression, that's okay. He can come alongside you and work through you. You deal with lust, guess what? He can come alongside you and work through you. We can come up with all kinds of excuses. I'm too busy. Too much to do. Work's too demanding. Whatever is too demanding. He can come along beside us and work through us in our work, work through us in our family, work through us in our community, work through us in our activities. This is the process of moving down the funnel into the scent category. Let's move on. So, Before we move on. Okay, so... A lot of us, a lot of, a lot of Christians choose, I don't, want to, I don't want to share my faith because of, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons we come up with. I would suggest the big reason why most of us don't want to share faith is because we're afraid. Amen? Amen. Most of us are afraid. I'm afraid of what people will think of me. I'm afraid of how people will then view me. I'm afraid of what they will say behind my back. Fear is an incredible motivator in not living out God's calling in our lives. And Paul is living that out right now. So let's take a look at what, what, uh, what happened to him. So in chapter 26, verse 24, he says, at this point after Paul has given this big, speech at this point festus interrupted paul's defense you are out of your mind paul he shouted your great learning is driving you insane and that's what we're afraid of isn't it you're nuts you're a hypocrite you don't know you don't know what you what what you you don't this this belief system is ridiculous i knew who you were before you started talking jesus talk So you have no credibility with me. Again, guess what, guys? That's all of us. We were all there. How does he deal with being afraid of what people are going to think of him? He is standing before a king in the king's court, and whoever else is there he is standing before the king, and instead of saying, "Oh God, I don't want to say this because I'm afraid of what they're going to say to me." He says to, to, to the king's accusation, "I am not insane, most excellent Festus," Paul replied, "What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a, <laughs> because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. He was so sold on his mission, he did not care whether he would be dishonored, whether he did not care what people thought of him. He was so sold out to God's mission that God God has given to him that He can can be maligned. He can be accused, and he doesn't care. What would your life be like if you had no worries that people knew that you were a believer? How would your life be different? How would you live out your Christian faith if you didn't care what people thought of you? We can be 14, we could be 84, and still be afraid of what people think of us. How would your life be different if there was no concern of losing face if people knew that you were a believer? Life would be different. I bet life would be a lot different. Our last fill-in-the-blank there says this. Your success or failure in sharing your testimony is not about whether someone responds as you want them to. We want to know going into a conversation like that that this is going to go well. It doesn't always. According to what, the way that we want it to go. It doesn't always go well. But if God leads us into that conversation, we know that it's the right thing to do because God led us into that conversation. And if God leads you into that conversation, and if you say no, how do we say Jesus is our Lord? I can't say Jesus is my Lord if I say no Lord. Because he's not Lord. If Jesus is my Lord, that means as He leads me into something, I obey. I do what He's called me to do. I let's see. Is there anything more? No, that's good. I can remember a warm October afternoon in 2014. I was standing in a basement up to my ankles in raw sewage. I was, I was working as a plumber and, uh, and I was in this basement, someone else's basement. And as I'm standing in this basement, I have a snake drain cleaning cable that is now from the clean out in the drain pipe about somewhere between 100 and 125 feet out into the yard where I have found the maple tree. So we probably know maple trees have what? Roots, yes. Roots like to find watery stuff. And this maple tree found a lot of watery stuff. So I've got this snake cable that is now, I said, about 100 to 125 feet out into the yard, and I have found the roots. Now, if you have never done drain cleaning, hopefully you haven't. If you have not, when you get into roots, it's a very, you have to be really careful because if you get that tip really deep into tree roots, you don't get it back. That means a very, very uncomfortable conversation with a homeowner that says, I need to have an excavator come and dig up your yard. You don't like to have those conversations because then words come back at you that you don't like to hear. So I'm very careful. I go out, I get a little bit, pull it back, pull the roots off, go out a little bit, pull it out, pull the roots back. Being very careful because I don't want to have this conversation with the homeowner. So I don't know what happened, Sure enough, I got too far into whatever root mass was in that drain pipe, and it got stuck. And so I'm pulling on this thing for all I've got, and it's it's not budging. It's not budging. There's some different things you can do with a drain snake to like back it up a little bit, and nothing. Else. So I've got two calls now into the boss. What should I do? I can't get this out. Well, you're going to have to go talk to the homeowner and tell them that we need to come and bring the excavator, dig up their yard, and put some new drain line in. (laughs) I don't want to have that conversation with the homeowner. And it had been a rough week. I remember this week very well because I remember the events leading up to this situation on a Friday. So I'm pulling, I'm pulling and i remember like it was yesterday i after about 20 or 30 minutes i finally said god if you want me out of this if you want me to be doing something different then i then you unplug this right now and i'll do whatever you want me to do <laughs> guess what happened i wrapped my arm around that cable i pull, and i pulled like i was and it it popped open the beautiful sound of water being sucked down a floor drain could have been the hallelujah chorus (laughs) playing it was glorious and I, I pulled so hard I about fell backwards and I caught myself and I dropped it and I just started to cry and I said okay if that is if that's what you want then that's what I'll do I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that I was in the wrong line of business at that point, and I was in disobedience at that point. And so about a month later, God sat me up in my bed at night, and he said, you're going to be at Ashland University uh, taking a count- going for your counseling degree. And a few short months later, that's where I was. Maybe you have never had that experience of God knocking you off your horse. If you have not, I would really, really suggest that you start praying for that experience. Ask God to bring that into your life. If you have had that experience and you have chosen to walk away from it, and now you're just kind of trying to figure out how do I get back to where I'm at? Begin praying because sometimes we need knocked off our horse at different times. The amazing thing about when God knocks you off your horse, He is always there to catch you. He will catch you in compassion and a love that absolutely understands what you're going through he will catch you he will sustain you and he will walk you into your purpose gently and lovingly we have to be willing to get to that point point. and then as we get there we have to be willing to begin to share with those around us when God leads us into their lives this is what God's done in me this is what my life was like before Jesus. This is how Jesus touched my life. And this is how my life is different now with Jesus. That's all a testimony is. We see it worked in front of kings and governors. It can work in front of your family or your friends or coworkers. It can work wherever God leads you. We just have to be willing to be obedient and walk through that process. Amen? Amen. God, we are, so, we are so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful that you are patient with us. We are so thankful and grateful that you are a gentle you are a gentle God. You don't smack us around. You, there is no holy two by four that you hit us with. There is only your hands of loving compassion ready to take us off of our horse and to catch us and to help us move into your will and then to give us the words to be able to share with those around us. So, Father, for wherever each one of us are at today, if we need removed from our horse so that we can begin to follow you, God, I pray that you would do that for whoever that is in the room and whoever might be watching online. If we are like Jonah, and we are heading in a wrong direction, God, I pray the same thing, you would remove us off of that horse, you would catch us, and you would head us back the right direction. Bless us with the words then, to share our testimony with those around us who need to hear that you love them, not because of who they are, not because of what they've done, not because of how good they are, but you love them just because they're your kid, just like all of us. In your name, amen. Okay.